for praise. That's something. What a wonderful, wonderful evangelistic outreach we held yesterday. And man, I'd just like to take a moment just to thank every one of the volunteers. We couldn't have done it without you. God is good. And somebody say amen to that. Yeah, you know, it's funny how that is. You, you see pictures like this, and I mean, it was a crowd of people. We had to send out again and again for food and ice and, and, and just whatever it took to, to make sure we could put it on. Ran out of backpacks, ran out of everything. I mean, it was, it was in, insane. But what a wonderful outreach uh, it was. You know, volunteers made it possible, and of course, everyone uh, that's a contributor to our ministry, our church here. Uh, is a part. We can't do it without you. Can someone say amen to that? And so today, if you're bringing a tithe or an offering, you, uh, you know there's several ways of doing that. The giving boxes are in the back, and of course, you can scan the code or go directly to the website and, and to give safely and securely. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your giving. Without it, we can't do all the different things that we do. How many are looking forward to Saturday at the beach? Yeah. yeah? going to be a great time. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, this morning, Angel stood up here and spoke. I'll tell you what, I thought that was amazing. You see him just do that? I don't know if you you caught it or not, but all of a sudden, he kind of forgot a little bit what he was going to say. He started to pace a second, took his time, got right back on stage, and boom, this guy's going to be a speaker, a preacher, no question about it. God is good. Amen. Before we do anything else this morning, I wanted to greet you from uh, our, our lead pastor, Pastor Adam, who's traveling uh, and ministering. Uh, we got a, uh, Carrie got a call this morning early. He was just absolutely dog-tired. As you can imagine, uh, the travel that's involved from, uh, if you know the logistics at all, from Culiacan, Mexico, flying down there one day, ministering there, and flying all the way across and up to Monterey, Mexico, ministering multiple, multiple times there, getting an airplane after two days flying uh, to Mexico City where this morning he's ministering and then two or three more times this evening uh, in different different, uh, 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 opportunities there in leadership and then, of course, to close out the conference. Uh, he, he, he said he can hardly talk. His voice is gone. I can relate, you know. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, I think today we ought to pray for strength for Pastor Adam. What do you think? Would you do that with me? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up Adam before you, Josh Barajas, translating for him. Lord, we ask you, Father, to give them supernatural strength, Lord, in this grueling schedule that they're on. Help them, Father, all of our churches in Mexico, that they would benefit from this month of conferences that we're doing. Bless them, Father. Bless their labors. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Let's give God praise. Yes. Next Sunday, e-group launch. And so we're kind of really looking forward to that. Going to be a, a, a great time uh, in the Lord. Amen. Oh, one last thought on that um, um, uh, uh, beach day. I know you're probably thinking, wh- whereabouts are we going to meet? And um, all you have to do is go to our Instagram uh, Elevate page and they'll post where they're going to be. We've got to get there early to get the, get the spot. Start at noon, and it'll go all day as long as you want to stay. 
but uh, be a good time of fellowship. Just go on that Instagram page, and you'll know exactly where we are. Amen. Well, let's get in the Word. What do you say? I'm going to be in the book of Revelation this morning in the, uh, the uh, second chapter. And uh, as I begin, I, I'm going to talk about a passion and a heart this morning. And I, just, to, just to kind of tell you, you know, last week was such an amazing service. And we were dealing with children, child, uh, children moving up in, in school and the like. And I was going to continue along in that line, the importance of child raising. But uh, something happened uh, that, that really inspired me to change the direction that I was going to minister this morning. And it happened on, on the front steps of our uh, a church out front. It was a couple weeks ago, and, and um, uh, I was talking to a, a, a fairly new couple to our church. The first time they came was on Father's Day, and uh, they, they were there for Dave, of course, was in the pulpit preaching on Father's Day. And then we kind of went into the movie series, and so there was a, a number of people that were preaching in different services. And like Pastor Adam said, he said he was so anxious to get back in our pulpit. Uh, uh, to preach. And so I was, as we were talking about it, you know, and I, I learned how long they've been coming. I, I said, well, you know, uh, I, 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 I wish you could hear uh, my son preach. I think you'd really enjoy that. And he says, oh, no. He says, you, you know, he said, I, uh, I've come from another church. He said, I've been involved with ministry. He said, it's usually the same pastor that preaches all the message. He said, but I can tell you that no matter who is in that pulpit, there's a passion that comes forth. Come on, somebody. You ought to give God praise right there. I, that's what it did for me, uh, just to hear those words, because what it meant to me is that the culture of our church is healthy. When we realize that passion, it, it, it can't be a, a, a pastor thing. It has to be uh, all of us uh, passionate about God and the things of God. I consider that such a great compliment, those words, uh, and uh, I was blessed. I mean, yesterday, uh, I've got some pictures that we're going to uh, kind of slide through here about the outreach yesterday, and um, one, one of the things that, that I noticed about it as I walked through the uh, different areas that were going on, uh, uh, all the different booths and the giveaways and the, and the prizes and the haircutting and the giving away of groceries and all the different things we did to bless our community. What I noticed in our uh, just huge number of volunteers that were there is that everyone had a smile on their face. It was hot. It was long. There were huge crowds and nobody lost their temper. Everybody was cool. Everybody was smiling. Everybody's happy. I didn't hear anybody complain about anything. And uh, as I did it, I recognized that that's passion. That there is there, people were there. And the reason we were there is we weren't there for our own kudos. We weren't there trying to do something necessarily for us. We were simply sharing the love of God every way that we could so that people could recognize that there are a people that love them, there are people that care for them because of what Jesus has done in our life. And so this passion, passionate heart thought uh, kind of came out of these, uh, these things. And uh, I picked up a quote that over the years has <clears throat> inspired me. And uh, <clears throat> that quote says this, man is only great when he truly acts 
from his passion. Now, I, I want to kind of leave that up there for just a second because it's easy just to move on. You hear that, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. But I'd like you to think about that just for a second. Passion, uh, excuse me, man is only great when he acts from his own passions. Now, think about that as it relates to us, maybe even your own life. And let those words settle into your spirit because what that's saying is that no matter what we do, no matter how qualified we are, no matter how prepared we are, that we only become great at what we're doing, not by our abilities, but by a passion that we have that burns inside of us. It's only when man's heart is truly ingrained, uh, engaged that he's at his best. It takes all out effort. There's a passion that rings. Now, I think it's true in every area of, of life. I mean, uh, you think about sports, there's nothing worse than a team playing out uh, at the end of a, of a season, just kind of going through the motions. If you think about music, uh, music is wonderful, but I mean, if the person performing it is just up there passionless, there is n nothing of real benefit that's being uh, uh, passed on. And it's true even when you go to your job. If, if people there are just kind of, you know, saddened and just kind of, well, you know, it's another day at the office, another day, another dollar. If that's kind of the approach to it, then there's no fun even being around that at all. Because there's nothing worse than people just going through the motions. There's something attractive about passion. I mean, this is why L.A. fell in love with Kobe. I mean, when Kobe put on the uniform and he stepped out on that, on that floor, not only was he a, an excellent basketball player, but there was a passion. I mean, when he took that ball, I mean, you know, it's going to be tough to beat him simply because he was willing it to happen. It's the same thing about the Taylor Swift concert that's just going on right now. I mean, you know, say what you want to, that gal, when she puts on a, con a concert, I mean, you can tell it, she's giving it everything that she has. She's working and there's attractiveness about that. I guess it's why there are all those Swifties out there. Amen. <laughs> and you think about when, when you're looking at marriage, what, what do you look for? Uh, say, I would like to em emulate that marriage. Well, you're not looking for something uh, where people are just kind of not, hardly know that they're married, you know, but you're looking for people where there's still a passion alive in that home and in that marriage because passion is indispensable for greatness in any endeavor of life, whether that's your job, your work, your career, whatever it would happen to be, your school, schooling, your education, what, whatever it would be, without passion, there will never be greatness. Now, if that's true in the natural, how much more true is it in our relationship with the Lord? I mean, you think about the scripture where God says, I am a jealous God. Now, at face value, that kind of sounds wrong, doesn't it? I mean, you know, jealousy is like a, 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 a devilish sin. And yet God's saying, I'm passionate about you. Really what he's saying there is that I love you so passionately that I can't stand to see you with anyone else, involved with anyone else. He was so passionate about us that he goes all the way to the cross for us. I mean, you think about it. Here's Jesus. He saw 
uh, priests taking advantage of people. And so he begins in an act of passion. He throws over the tables and scatters the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the sacrifices. He, he, the Bible says he would go and con continue in prayer fervent prayer all night long. In other words, there was something inside of me wasn't just going to a prayer meeting or, or just uh, offer up a few prayers, but all night long had a passionate zeal to pray. And he cried uh, over the city. I mean, he looked that they would not repent. And he looks out with that heart of his and he just began to weep over them. And then great drops of blood coming out in the sweat at the night of his passion. And so you realize if Jesus is that passionate about us, God's going to expect no less from us. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 in the message translation, and I'll refer to this particular scripture over and over. In this sermon, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important and the first on any list. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 17, Scripture says, And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, action, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God every step of the way. And so what he's saying is it's not enough to come into the house of the Lord and just kind of mouth a few words and endure a worship service, but he's saying, sing that heart out to God. Isn't that what we talk about here all the time? We want you to get your heart out. And I'm telling you, your kids have to see you passionate about worship in your life. We think about in Romans chapter 12, verse number 11. Scripture says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so what Scripture is telling us is Paul is saying, don't allow your zeal for him to run low. And so in, uh, uh, in, implied in that statement is a recognition that the responsibility is on us. We have to work to keep our zeal for the Lord up. It's no one else's responsibility. It's not the pastor that's supposed to stir it up in. It's you and I that have to work to keep our passion hot before the Lord. And so this morning I'd like to do just a bit of a self-examination style of a message. And maybe we could just take a moment right at the beginning to just think for a moment. i ask you a question this morning and not just to gloss over it, but maybe you would consider it for your own life. Would you describe your relationship with the Lord as passionate? Uh, maybe we could even take it another step. Would your spouse or your children or your friends, would they describe your relationship with the Lord as passionate? Because the church is made up of people. And it's not the name on the building that's important. It's not about the pastor that's in the pulpit that's important. It's Jesus. And if we're here for any other reason, then something's wrong. And we have to check ourselves because when you recognize the need for passion, and, and today you might say, I'm lacking in that, but I want to be. Let me just tell you this. It's within your grasp. Yes. 
you can grab it. I want to read uh, the text that I want to minister from this morning. It's found in the book of Revelation, and it's in chapter 2, the first uh, five verses. Just a short reading of Scripture you may be filled with, familiar with. And there it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they're apostles but they're really not and found them out to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, he says, I have somewhat against you, and that is that you have left your first love. Now, the book of Revelation we're reading from is a prophetic book, and, and, and it's written by John, the disciple of Jesus, or the apostle, as you may know him as, and, and here he is, a man who, uh, if you read through the, the gospel accounts, you'll recognize he always referred to himself as, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He had just a really close relationship with the Lord. And uh, he was uh, not afraid to proclaim the gospel of Christ when there was much persecution. So he was arrested. He was put on an island in, uh, in Pat Patmos, and there he was imprisoned. And he had an encounter there on the island with the resurrected Jesus. And he gave him this vision that you and I know as the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And I think many times that we almost feel going to shy away from that book. We feel like, well, can't really grab or understand it. And I think the reason is, is because he's trying to explain what he saw. And it's almost impossible to explain it except through the using of imagery. So in verse number one, he says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So you're thinking, what, what's that? Well, lampstands represent the church. And the reason we know they represent the church is because there's a flame on top. There's a light that emanates from it. That's the church. Amen. The church is supposed to uh, release the light of God. And he says, and I'm talking to those uh, that, that uh, are the, um, uh, 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 the uh, angels of the, church, uh, uh, of the church. And so literally what he's talking about is the ministers, if you study that out. So the ministers of the church. So he, he calls, Jesus calls ministers. He anoints ministers. He directs ministers. He influences ministers. But if anything good comes out of a minister, it's because of Jesus. In other words, what we're reading here is Jesus is saying prophetically that I'm walking in the middle or in the midst of the church. And he's saying, I am observing what's going on. I'm judging what's happening there. I'll fill the church, I'll vacate the church, and without Jesus, 
the church is literally powerless. It's just an institution. It's just a place where people gather. But without Jesus being front and center, being what it's all about, it's just a building with people in it. And so Jesus here speaks to the church at Ephesus and to the minister involved, and he commends the church. And he says they've done so many things that are right. And so he writes to them in verses two and three, and he says, I have observed, I know what you do, your works. I've observed your labor and your patience. I've observed your doctrinal purity and that you cannot stand those who are evil and those that call themselves apostles but really are not. You've found them liars. You've, you've held on to that purity and have the patience and labored for my name's sake. You've not become weary. You kept on going even in the difficult times of life. And so this is quite a compliment, I would think, coming from the Lord. He's talking about their evangelistic efforts. He's talking about their community involvement, their faithful service in his name. He's talking about the fact that they hold on to God's word as doctrine, as purity, and the fact that they were not uh, weary in this, that they did not quit, they continued to labor. They were engaged in the work of the church even though uh, circumstances might have been difficult. So at face value, I think most of us, I know I, if I heard that, I'd be happy to hear that from the Lord. And so we'd be satisfied with that, 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 that report. But Jesus makes one final statement that sets our ears aflame here. He says, nevertheless, in verse number four, I have something against you that you've left your first love. Now, I mean, if... If that was spoken about us, great job on the outreach. Wonderful that you've uh, continued to hold the doctrine of the Bible. This is all great, but, but I've got something against you. That the fact that you've allowed your passionate zeal for me to dissipate. Now, what an indictment. You know, somehow the church's passion had dissipated. So there was good works that were being done, but there were some other motivation. Maybe the motivation was they just wanted to fill the church up and wanted to become the biggest church in town. Or maybe, maybe it was just about money and, and, and the more people, the more money that's going to come into the church. You know, I, I don't know what it would be. Maybe popularity. It could be anything. But the church does not exist to put people in seats and collect offerings, but to love God and to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Him. That's why we're here. Now, we know from observing what's happening in the church world today where many churches are being emptied out, turned and properties being destroyed, and apartments going in, and churches being relegated, uh, 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 almost out of what, what's happening in society. And I think what's happened is when people lose their passion or they lose their zeal, it makes churches kind of uh, 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 afraid to proclaim the word of God as the final authority. They're afraid that people will be uh, offended by what they say. But this is a slippery slope, folks. 
If you do church without Jesus at the center, if we do church without proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have taken away the right to be called his church, and we've made it just our church. See, if Jesus is not the sole reason that the church does what it does, then there's a slow walk happening towards the, uh, 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 an apathy towards the things of God. Listen to me, church is not a business, but it's a hospital to heal broken people with love and truth. That's our function. That's why we're here. You know, I mean, you start to think about the ministry of Jesus and you read through the, the gospel accounts, so phenomenal. If you have not done that lately, just to read through them and just soak that in, I, I encourage you to do so. Because there you'll read time after time that Jesus looked out at somebody that means nothing to anybody else, kind of a neglected by society, but he was moved with compassion. He saw people that were healed and ostracized from society, but again, it says he was moved with compassion. He reached out to bring them into the fold. And so we begin to realize that if that's God's desire for the church, that we're to love God and to love his people, what would he expect from you and I? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 4, Paul is speaking to the church there in Thessalonica, and he says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone, God alone, examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we're not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have not sought it from you or anyone else. I mean, what he's describing is what a church is supposed to function like. I mean, what he's uh, comparing it to is just like a, a marriage where there's this cooling of love. And so instead of a dynamic love relationship between a man and a woman, what happens is it's just like a convenience, if you know what I'm talking about, where two people can live cheaper than other people uh, uh, singly. And so they're, they're, they're going to come together and they're in a house, but it's like two ships passing in the night. They're like two strangers. There's no real love in that marriage relationship. See, Jesus is not so much interested in our performance as he is in our love for him. And so in God's point of view, it's not so much what we do, but it's why we do it. So this morning, as we look at this, we realize to God this is a very serious matter. He says, I have somewhat against you. I don't know about you, but I, I would not like to hear that at all. That would be something that would invoke in me a recognition, this is, this is serious. Because he's saying Jesus, out of his proper place within the church, is gonna have consequences. He says, if you do not change your ways. If you do not put me back at the appropriate place, I will take the light and the lampstand out 
of you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a church that doesn't have light. And all we're doing is putting out a performance somehow for people or trying to entice them to come to our church. And so he says in Revelation 2 that unless you repent, he says, your lampstand's going to be removed from its place in spite of the fact that all the good that they did. And Jesus noticed that. What was left was a passionless church. And I'm here to tell you today that passion trumps function every time. That what's important or what's valuable to God is that we love him. We can be prepared. We can be together. We can uh, uh, you know, work hard. But all of that stuff goes by the wayside if we're not doing it because of a passion we have for Jesus and, of course, for the, comfort, the people of God. See, the opposite of passion is apathy. And apathy is nothing but a lack of motivation. It's just a, a complacency that people have. This is something that the Lord just does not tolerate well. If we were to read on in Revelation there, in the third chapter, he addresses another church, and he says that the church is lukewarm. And most of you would recognize that. When he said that, he says, the church is lukewarm. He says, uh, that's repulsive to me. He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Or what he's saying is that that causes me to vomit. It's something that, that I just don't like. Take you back to Matthew 22 and verse number 37. He says, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, of course, just like it, you love your neighbor as yourself. As a result of your passion for God, it will spread out to your fellow man. First in importance, greatest in significance, an active passion for God and consequently for our fellow men. See, in context, this particular scripture, Matthew 23, uh, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And he likens it uh, uh, in a story about a king. Obviously, the king would be the Lord. And, and, and this king is, is inviting subjects to come and to dine with him. And so God's heart is always for us to gather, to come together, together, together. And what happened is, as you read through it, is that they made light of it, is what the scripture said. In other words, they became careless about that. It wasn't a priority for them to come to gather together. They had other matters that were inter of interest to them. And so at surface value, it does not seem to be all that bad. They just didn't want to go to the banquet. They just didn't want to be there at the dinner. They had other things that were important. But the king acts violently in opposition to this, Matthew 22 and 7. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. What's interesting is that in the Greek language, if you really study that out, it says, and God was livid. He was fuming. He was incensed. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I mean, in other words, yes, there's 52 Sundays in a year. What's the big deal about being in the house of God? I mean, we've got ball games and we've got, uh, you know, uh, family gatherings. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. We can always go next week or the week after that if that's, that's, that, that's not that important. But God doesn't see it that way. God says, that's, that's repulsive to me. So 
Jesus taught this same truth in Luke's gospel, Luke 14, 16. He says, so he said to them, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come on, for all things are now ready. But they with one accord began to, I think it's interesting, make excuses. First said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I got to go see it. The second said, I just got a new jet ski. I've got to try it out. Another one said, I've just married a wife. I can't come. And so the servant came and reported these things to the master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, go out to the streets, bring in the poor, the blind, and the lame. In other words, if they don't want to come, they're not welcome. Let's go get somebody else to fill the house of God. Doesn't this sound like the attitude in most churches today, taking lightly the things of God. I mean, if you talk to people and you happen to tell them, you know, on the weekends, Sundays are reserved for me for the house of God. They'll say, oh yeah, but this one, you know, if they find out that you bring a tithe to the house of God, they go, man, you're being ripped off. That's crazy. Why would you do that? I mean, if you make a commitment, no, I, I spend time in the morning praying to God, talking to him, or I spend time in the word of God daily because it's my source of strength. People will find it incredulous. They'll go, wow, I mean, that, that's that's, you know, don't you think you're going overboard on that? But that's not what Jesus says. Because Jesus responds to apathy with anger. And so the, if the greatest commandment is to have a fervent and passionate love for him and the work of his ministry, spiritual apathy will always be rejected. So maybe it would be a good idea for each of us to check ourselves today. Because it's so easy to say because we just, we're in church or we come to church, everything's going to be okay. But let me just also tell you, it's easy for all of us to fall into apathy. Here's some questions to contemplate this morning. How's my heart relationship with the Lord? I'm not talking about how it was. I'm talking about how it is. Am I still passionate about him? Is he still the reason that I wake up, first thing I do in the morning is to greet him? Or have other matters begun to slide in to take precedence over the things of God? I mean, there are so many things happening today that vie for our attention. I mean, it, it seems like they all happen on Sundays. It's amazing what, what, what uh, the draw of this world. But let me just tell you something. They may all be good things, but there is only one thing that can give meaning and purpose to your life. And that is a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Out of that relationship flows everything. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all that other stuff. He said, I'll take care of it for you. It's not a problem. You know, I think it's so critical that our children see us putting Jesus front and center. I think it's so important that they see your, the dad, especially 
And the mom, of course, too, lifting their hands, praising their God, singing, even if they can't sing that well, to the Lord. Amen. Because I think it's critical that we keep ourselves passionate for the Lord. Let's take stock of our spiritual condition this morning. Would you do that with me? Do you spend the same time with the Lord that you did when you first got saved? Do you still worship with passion before the Lord? Do you pray? Is there a time that's set aside? I'm not talking about just at a church prayer meeting, although those are wonderful, but I'm talking about in your own personal life. How's your thought patterns? Are your thought patterns constantly thinking about the purpose, the plan of God for your life, for your family, or, or, or are you worried about too many things that are going on? Because it's easy to slip. And guess what? It's on us. We have to work to correct it. In Jude chapter 1 and verse number 3, he writes, Beloved Christian people, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I became concerned, so I found it necessary to write you and exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith that you and I have to understand Jude, uh, 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 the half-brother of Christ, pastoring people. He said, look, I, I, you know, I'd like to write and celebrate and everything, but he said, I've noticed something, and so I'm writing to you from my heart. He said, you've got to earnestly contend. That's for you and I to do today. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 6, Paul writes, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift that is in you. What he's saying to them is, look, it's not up to me to preach you into stirring yourself up. You've got to do it. Uh, take the bull by the horns and make a decision. Uh, I will not be passionate about the Lord, I mean, passionless about the Lord who loved me and gave himself for me and set me free from my sins. And so we've got to find a way we have to find a way to stir up passion. And here's my suggestion. Because it's the beginning of football season. You've heard it said, the best defense is a good offense. And so I'm not sure if that's true. If you're going to win the Super Bowl, you better have a good defense. I know that's true. But, but, but the, as the statement goes, what it's saying, the idea of the game is to score more points than the opposition. And so the way you keep the opposition from scoring points is you keep the ball. As long as you're constantly moving towards the goal, as long as you're uh, 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 taking up time on that, on that clock and you just keep, uh, keep that ball, they can't score. And so he says the best defense is a good offense. And so if we take that in a spiritual sense, what he's saying is we can't wait around and hope that somehow the coach is going to stir us up. What we got to do is get out on the field, get that ball, take it, hold on to it so the enemy can't score. Amen. <laughs> Philippians 3.14, I press towards the goal of the prize. of the. I press, I work at it. And so our text here in Revelation shows us how to take that action. Let's look at it carefully. In verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from what you've fallen, repent, and then do the first works. 
So there's three things that I see there to remember, to repent, and to renew. To remember, to repent, and renew. And so today, as I said, it's in your grasp. If you desire that relationship with God, it's there. It's, it's available to you. How do you do it? You remember, you repent, and you renew. So when you think about remembering, there is nothing like the salvation experience. I mean, can you think back and you remember when you first gave your heart to the Lord? I'm talking about the flood of relief that came over you to recognize I'm no longer uh, uh, unloved. I'm no longer all by myself. There's a God that loves me. Do you remember the joy that filled your heart at that? I mean, it caused you to be hungry, to be in the Word of God, to be in the house of God. You, you just had to be about it. Because after all, Jesus had come into your life. You were so crazy that you didn't care if you got fired. You wanted to share him on your job or in your school. It's just the way it was because salvation changes everything. And so this morning, what he's saying, I want you to remember. Remember the Lord that loves you. Remember the Lord that forgave you. Remember your salvation and the first things that you were able to do in the kingdom of God and ask yourself, am I still there? Or have somehow I ebbed back out of that relationship? See, the recognition that we're forgiven is critical that we keep in front of us. It's what releases gratitude. The sharing of our faith, it, there's something about it that is health-giving to us. Something about anxious to be in the house of God, re ready to strap it on and go to work to serve the kingdom of God. And, and, and you know, I would just tell you something. There's something about hunger for the word that's important. I'm so glad that we operate like that. You know, we have the Bible reading plan that so many of you are a part of. But let me just tell you something. The Bible reading plan by itself is not good enough. I mean, after all, I read it every day, but I find myself, I read it today, and I'm thinking, what in the heck were they talking about yesterday? You know, so I have to go back and kind of catch myself up. Oh, yeah, now, now I get it, yeah. And find out the flow of what God's saying in his word. There, there's something about us, uh, a remembering. See, what happens is that when we remember what God's done for us, it changes everything inside of us. Second thing he says, he says, remember it and then repent. Now what he's talking about here, the word repent means to turn. Turn from what you're doing and, and the encroaching apathy that has a way to try to slip into our life and admit we're not where we need to be. You know, that's where everything begins is to admit it. It's hard for Christians to admit, I'm not where I used to be. I've allowed pressure of this world, busyness of this world. I've allowed other interests to begin to come in and to sap the love that I have for Jesus. And I recognize it. Admitting it does something because it makes you take responsibility. And that's where it starts. If you don't take responsibility for it, it'll never happen. It can't happen just from a pulpit of a church. You've got to determine that I'm going to make the necessary changes. I'm going to reprioritize my life back to what it was before. I am not going to allow it to ebb out. 
And then he says, and then I want you to renew. I want you to remember. I want you to repent. And then I want you to renew. You notice what he says. He says, I want you to do those first works again. And you might think, well, Jesus really commended us for the works that, uh, that were in that, in that, in that uh, uh, portion of Scripture, the church at Ephesus. But honestly, implied in this um, uh, uh, doing the first works again is remembering the motive and not the function. I mean, it's easy to do things for the Lord. It's easy to show up in the house of God. But listen, we've got to take some time and do the works that Jesus called us to do because we're in love with the Lord. See, you got to talk to your father. I, I, I'm telling you, this is so critical to recognize that you have a father that loves you. And that father, I, I tell you, there, there, there's nothing worse. I, I, I'm a father to one son. And I, I, there's just no words to describe the love that I have towards him. And when he talks to me and when he shares with me, it means everything to me. Why does it mean so much to me? Well, he's my son. I love him. It's the same thing with your children. When your children, they reach that age, you know what I'm talking about, where it's not cool to be around mom or dad, it hurts you, doesn't it? There's something that happens inside you going, man, you know, hey, I gave birth to you, dude, you know? <laughs> I, I paid away for you, you know? But, but, but that's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for them to love you because of what you've done. You just want them to love you. And so we've got to realize that's the way it is with your father, God. He loves you so much and he, he's interested in your life. He wants to hear from you, to talk to you. He wants to spend time with you as you go through the word of God. He wants you to break old habits and say, you know what, I've been down that road. I've done things just because I'm supposed to do things, but I'm going to turn that around. I'm not going to just teach a class at Sunday school. I'm going to bring it with everything that I have. And those kids are going to learn something today. And so how do we do that? Well, we dive in. I mean, we've done everything but beg you to go to eConnect and to be involved in our ministry and church. And if you've never done that, taken the time, it will benefit you greatly. I will promise you that. So take the time, go to the website, get involved with the eConnect and serve. Honor the Lord with your finances. Put him first in everything you do. And can I just tell you what will happen? A passion will begin to flow in your life. A passion for the things of God. You know what we've tried, what I've tried to do today is just take a little time to check ourselves, just to examine, just to take a look inside. This church is full of people of passion. The words that were spoken to me on the front steps of our church meant so much to me because if it's only the pastor that has a passion, then what, we're doing something wrong. But when there's everybody that stands behind the pulpit, everybody that serves, in the community, to reach out and help people that you can see, demonstrate the, the, the passion that they have for God and the things of God, praying for people, celebrating with people, loving people that don't know Jesus. That's what we're all about here at Elevate Ministries. But let me just warn me and you that over time, passion has a way of slipping in our lives. 
and the very basic things that we have with Jesus, the very basic things that keep our lives engaged with the things of God have to be remembered. We've got to return to them. The motive, not just the function, the motive behind it. And so this morning as we conclude this particular service, I wonder if there's someone here today, maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And I, when I say that, I'm not talking, this is not just semantics, it's not just words that we say. Because when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's, it's paramount to saying he's now boss. What he says is what I believe. What he says is what I do. He is the reason for my life. And, and if you've never done that, if you've never surrendered your life, the way scripture says that it's kind of cool, it says, for I am crucified with Christ. In other words, I, I sacrifice myself. And I don't live now by my own ideas, my own thoughts. Now everything I do, I live it out by faith in the Son of God. If that doesn't describe you. That, what that means is that maybe you've never made Jesus actually Lord and Savior. And if that's you this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if you wouldn't just take a moment in that reflection to make an honest declaration and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want meaning, I want purpose in my life. I don't want to go through life without that. And if that's you, I wonder if you wouldn't just raise your hand right where you're at, just quickly, just raise it up and put it, I see that hand, God bless you. Thank you for that, you can put it right back down. And yes, I see that hand, thank you. God, he's so good to us, he loves us. He loves us so much. Thank you, I see that hand as well. God bless you. What a, what a, what a marvelous thing. You know, when a person gives their hearts to the Lord, there's something special about when it happens in church because everybody's so excited for you. You should become part of the family of God. So those of you that raised your hands, I wonder if for just a moment, if that's you, if you wouldn't do something, if you just stand to your feet right where you're at, would you do that? Would you do that, please? Thank you. Yes, yes. Would you, would you, yes. Thank you. Was there, right over here, was there one as well? Thank you. Yes, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Something powerful happens. Amen. So I would like you to do something. Yes, yes. Right where you're at, I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer with me this morning. And we could all pray it together because I want to tell you something. A passionate heart for God is in your grasp. Pray this prayer with me, would you? Just say, Jesus, I determine today to love you with all my heart. And I surrender myself to you today. And I ask you to come into my life. Change me, Father, from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Oh, let's give God praise. Let's give God praise. Thank you for that. Let me take a, just a, a quick turn today. And I'd like to talk to brave people. Are there any brave people in the house of God today? Any brave people? 
Yeah. See, it takes a certain, especially in church, to admit, you know, I'm not where I, where I want to be in the Lord. I've, I've allowed things to encroach upon my relationship with Jesus. And you know, to be honest with you, I got to change that. I, 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 I remember from where I fell. I'm going to repent today and I'm going to renew the works that I first did. And so if that's you, I wonder if you wouldn't get up out of your seat. This is where the bravery comes in. Get up out of your seat and come to the altar of church. Praise God for that. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for that. Wow. <sighs> Thank you for that. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. I want to speak to you from my heart before we pray. And I, I want you to know something from me, from the staff of our church. We recognize, whether you know it or not, that you're the Marine Corps of Christianity. And by that I mean you're the best of the best. In other words, what I'm saying is uh, you're not afraid to say this is not easy in the world that in which I live to keep him first in my life. And so I know, I know from, from observing you, I know that you love him. I know you, you care about him. And I also know that there's a pressure on all of us. It's hard sometimes. And so today as I stand with you, I fight the same battle that you fight. It, 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 it can become easy tiresome sometimes just to keep things moving with the things Lord. sometimes it's just easier just a veg but today we stand before Lord the Lord lift your hands we stand before the Lord and we declare to you Lord that it's in our grasp to stir up the gift that's in us it's within our grasp Lord to earnestly desire and fervently desire and contend for the faith. And so today we don't wait for a sermon to do it for us. We don't wait for someone else to just, or even you, to light our hearts on fire. We make a decision today. We turn, we remember, we repent, and we declare that we're going to renew in Jesus' name. And so, Father, I pray over these, your precious, precious people, the people that you love with all your heart, the people that you sacrificed yourself on the cross for, the people, Lord, that, that are moving the kingdom of God forward with everything that they have. Lord, I'm asking you to help them, that as they determine to keep their hearts aflame for you, that you would bless them, Father, as they seek you first, everything else lord let it be added unto them in jesus name and all of god's people said amen and amen let's worship him this morning